0: Uh, we've come to the end of our Advent series that we've done uh, for the past four weeks, and we are we calling our series uh, the Christ in the... Can we go back one slide? We have one more slide before that? Yeah. Christ in the Carols. Not that I forgot it. I was right there. I knew it. Um, Christ in the Carols. Um, if you're visiting with us, we usually go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter We're in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We're calling it the gospel according to Isaiah because we see so much of Jesus in the announcement and the proclamation of prophecy of Isaiah. Um, welcome back to, to go through that with us. But this year, during the Advent season, we decided to do something a little bit different. We decided to look at some famous and, and you know, songs we love to sing, the Christmas carols, looking at the Christmas carols through the Holy Scripture. It is our hope that as we sing the song, as we're going to sing the the next song we're going to sing, I'm going to be talking about, um, it it just will give us a deeper understanding of where they come from. We're from the Scriptures, get a deeper understanding of that. Not only that, but hopefully it it stirs our heart uh, for affections for Christ. The Word of God, of course, is the only inspired, authoritative, infallible Word. But for thousands of years, uh, God's people... Uh, played music and sang the book of Psalms and other music, really helping us to to know God better, to worship God, to grow as Christ followers. And Christmas carols are the most memorable and unique songs of the faith. So we've been looking at them. This is the fifth one. And the song we're looking at tonight is, Oh Holy Night, as we light the Christmas, uh, the Christ candle, Oh Holy Night. And as we've done with other Christmas songs, this is a very interesting song, actually, the, uh, where it came from and uh, how it really got started. Very, very interesting. It really begins, I was telling some people uh, earlier this week, like an old joke that you've heard before. A rabbi, a priest, an atheist walk into a bar, you know, and write a song. Um, that's really true. Uh, the bar part is not true, but a rabbi, a priest, an atheist, and Ed, a heretic is the ones that actually really wrote this song. Very interesting. Um, began in France. A French priest had an organ re-renovated and said, you know what? I want to celebrate this at Christmas time in a Christmas Eve service. I'd like to have a new poem for the service. So what he did was he got a hold of somebody. His name is Placide Capois. I'm sure if you're French, I messed that up. Uh, so he said to him, look, can you write this Christmas poem for me for our Christmas Eve service? I'm celebrating this new organ renovation. Placide, the, the, the author of this song, was more known for his, he was a wine merchant and a uh, poet, not much for church attendance, actually a, a declared atheist and ardent socialist, but he was a good poet, so I said, all right, we'll give it a try. One day, he was on a coach from what the story, tell, the story goes. He opened up the book of Luke to try to understand the Christmas story. And as he's traveling from one city to Paris, he looks at Luke chapter 2 and he comes up with this poem. He's imagining uh, witnessing the, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And as he gets to Paris, the song, which was at that time called Cantuique de Noel, was completed. He thought he did a great job. He said, man, that's a good poem. It needs good music. So I know. This atheist said, I'll contact someone I know that can write music who's Jewish, doesn't believe in Jesus, but he could put something. He gets a guy by the name of Adolph Adams. He gets the poetry from an atheist, puts music to it. He loves it. They love it. And the priest loves it. So what does he do? He brings it to the church, Catholic church, Christmas mass, a couple years later, and they sing the song. It's a huge hit. I'm not making this up. Just there's no punchline. It's a huge hit for a while. And then everybody finds out it was an atheist that wrote it. A Jewish man put it to the music, you know, the music behind it. And the song went from the greatest song to the worst song ever. It was actually banned in France for several years from singing. it. In fact, the, the, the leaders of the French Catholic Church deemed the carol, the hymn, as unfit for church service. It lacked musical taste and a total disdain or a total absence, excuse me, of the spirit of religion. Banned from France. 1855, several years later, a Unitarian minister, if you don't know who they are, they denied the deity of Christ. They would call what we would call Heretics. He picks up the song and says, you know, it's a great song. I think I'll introduce it to America. In fact, there's a a song in in part of this song, which we'll look at. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother. Well, he's an abolitionist. He loves that verse. He takes it from uh, from French, puts it into English, and introduces it to America, and it takes off. We've been singing it ever since. A Jew, a priest, an atheist, and a heretic write a song in a bar. I'm looking that up like I can't believe that. This is a song we sing. Tell me God's not sovereign. Right? Tell me God can't use anything and all things to glorify his name. That's a great song. I don't care who wrote it. <laughs> That's a great song. So we're going to look at this song quickly, really through four lenses. As I look at this song, and we're going to sing it. I'm going we'll look through it. scripture. We go from darkness to light, from light to hope, from hope to freedom, from freedom to glory. Okay? We'll go through it quickly. First thing we see in this song is from darkness to light. I got the stanza. You know the song. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Like many of the Christmas carols that we sing, it's Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 seems to spur a lot of these Christmas songs. And in the region, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared, the glory of the Lord shone. They were filled with great fear. The angel said, fear not. You want to hear an angel say, fear not, when they show up. Yeah. I bring you good news of great joy that's for all the people. For unto you it is born this day in the city of David, King David, Bethlehem, a Savior is Christ the Lord. Now, the word holy means separate, to be set apart. And something about that night was normal like every other night. But there was something that was glorious. That was like no other night before it or after it. There at night, as the shepherds worked, as they cared for the flock, as the stars glittered in the backdrop of this dark night, the angel of the Lord appeared announcing good news of great joy that in the city of David, in King David's city, a son, the promised one, the Messiah, the one that was promised in 2 Samuel long ago has been born. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. I means the anointed one. He's the one that God will send to redeem and to rescue and to save God's people. In some ways, this wasn't an ordinary baby in an ordinary uh, uh, birth. But in some ways, it was not an ordinary birth or an ordinary baby. He is Christ. He's the Lord. When the Bible says that about Jesus in the New Testament, it means he is Yahweh. He is God in the flesh. Did you know that in the New Testament, there is not One single recording of anyone being born after Jesus. In the Old Testament, genealogies are all over the place. From from Genesis to Malachi, there are genealogies upon genealogies. But when Jesus is born, he's the last one. No other births in all of the Bible. Why is that? Because from Genesis to Malachi, all the genealogies pointed to the one. The birth of the Messiah, the King, who is the Lord. His birth is the reason and culmination of all births. It's not only in the dark of night that Christ was born and announced. The implications of the darkness is also important. The the song picks that up. Look what it it says. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. See, darkness in Scripture represents a life without communion with God, living in rebellion and and spiritual darkness. It is in opposition to the light of God's love that's in Christ. And all people, the Bible tells us, are born in a fallen state of sin and separation from God. Sin darkens our understanding of God. Sin destroys our spiritual insight. Sin and darkness cloaks us in ways that we can no longer see. It says, long lay the world. What he's saying in this song, what the scriptures say, is that way back from Adam and Eve, the world has laid in sin and error. We live in a darkened world. We live in a world cursed by sin. You don't have to look very far to see that. Nothing's easy. We toil when we eat. We want to grow plush plants, but thorns and thistles grow instead. Gathering our daily bread brings sweat to our brows. And the destiny for everyone under the sun is to return to the dust from which it came. The writer of the hymn captures our condition. We live under the curse of sin. We are pining. I like that word. Error and sin. Excuse me. Error and, sin, and error. Pining. I had to look it up. I'm gonna lie to you. Like I don't use that word that often. Mental, physical. Suffering, depression, uh, people have broken hearts, usually are pining. They're, there's a brokenness. The world, he says, is pining, and that's true. It's separate from God. Our souls can't find rest. There is a deep sense of valuelessness and worth that drives us to seek that in other places. Relationships, money, power, and self-righteousness are things we sought after and seek after. Yet, all that changed on the night that our birth. The Savior was born. Jesus appears. Look what he says. All our soul feels its worth. And the reason our soul senses value now is that our Savior gave of himself. He gives us worth because we belong to him. This night in which Jesus was born and dies and rises, we have been purchased by his blood. Not by blood, not by, excuse me, gold and silver. He redeemed us by his precious blood. He spilt it on our behalf. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is a treasure. And he gives that treasure to us. We read earlier, I think it was Larry read in 1 John 1, 4, how darkness and separation is overcome by Christ. It says, in him, that's Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, until we are born from above, until we have faith in Christ, we live in spiritual darkness. But the good news that Jesus brings to this world is light and life. And his life giving spirit floods light and life into our lives, into the darkness of our hearts. That's what he was getting at. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. You know, in Matthew chapter four, is that Earlier, um, some readings in Matthew 4. uh, I should say another Christmas story we find in Matthew. It says, because of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 4, that people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Family, listen. No matter how deep the darkness we're in, the light of God's love, the light of God's truth overcomes every sin that separates us from God. From darkness to light, from light to hope. A thrill of hope, you know the song. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks anew, a new and glorious morn. There is no greater hope, no greater hope than the hope of Christ. There is no greater hope than the hope of the gospel. It is a thrill. It is is a thrill. It's a time when the weary world rejoices. Some of you may be weary here tonight. Weary for trouble, weary because of broken hearts, weary because of of heartache. Some of you feel that way, especially when Christmas season, there may be a sense of hopelessness, not really any rejoicing, just hurt and struggle and disappointment. But the coming of Christ and the hope he brings won't change your circumstances, but when you recognize and you have the joy and the hope of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you've been reconciled to God, there's an eternal hope. An eternal hope that resides in the heart. When the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a confidence of an expectation of the future. It's, it's expected. It will happen. It's confident. Sin may cover the world, but Jesus is born. And that is a thrill of hope. A new Age, a glorious morning as darkness comes over the earth. Jesus' light shines and the gospel shines in our hearts. With Jesus, the dark curse of sin lifts. Our fate from from, from dust turns to eternal glory with our Savior. The Hebrews writer, I have it up there in chapter 6. That context is that Christ entered into the inner place, in the inner sanctuary. In other words, his sacrifice For sin has been accepted by the Father. And he says, we now have a hope that is an anchor for our soul. Some of you need to hear that. That Christ is the anchor for your soul tonight. The assured hope. Sin's forgiven. The future, a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, he says. Oh, hear the angels rejoicing. Oh, night divine. The night when Christ was born. Let let me just say this tonight. Let me just say this carefully. Let me say this gently and and yet honestly and and lovingly. Some of us may feel hopeless today and cannot identify with, with singing these songs. And it may be because we have lost the wonder of the hope and the joy of knowing our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. See, we trust in other things. We trust and hope in things that will not last, in things that are not uh, eternal. We get so caught up in the things of this world, don't we? What a year it's been. The stresses and the worries of our days. And we lose sight in the hope that can be found only in Christ. In this world, there's no hope. This world is in despair and without hope. But Paul tells us in Colossians that we must continue in the faith, continue trusting Continue worshiping, continue believing, relying on Jesus, being stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope, not of the world, but hope of the gospel. There's no sweeter message of hope in the world than to hear God announce that your troubled heart, your sense of guilt and shame, estrangement before a holy God has been reconciled. It will quiet our hearts. We'll rest and trust in him knowing that every sin we've ever committed, every sin we have ever will commit is forgiven, and we are now reunited to our Creator through the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news of hope, good news that there is hope for sinners, the worst of sinners, the hope of forgiveness, like, like the weeping harlot who was saved by faith, the hope of reconciliation, like the prodigal son that came home, the hope of cleansing, like the leper cleansed by the touch of Jesus. is a worldwide hope for all the people. Nothing will satisfy us. Listen, the Christmas story is not only that God offers past sins forgiveness, a forgiveness in the past, and a future hope, but let me tell you, the gospel gives us hope right here and now. The hope of the gospel, to love and communion with God now, gives me hope when I fight and I'm discouraged because of my battle with sin. I have hope because of Christ. The hope of the gospel gives me everything I need to stand against temptation of greed and prejudice, lust, and pride. The hope of the gospel is all I need to move ahead toward my spouse with love, unity, and understanding. The hope of the gospel is all I need to parent well with wisdom and grace. The hope of the gospel allows me to face the reality of life in a fallen world without despair. The hope of the gospel grants me not only the promise of daily forgiveness, but the promise and the hope of fresh starts, new beginnings, That's the hope of the gospel. It empowers me to go from hate to love. Fall on your knees, sing of the gospel, hear the angels rejoice. Do we have that hope this morning? We move from darkness to light, light to hope, and now hope to freedom. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Two passages of scripture we find that in. First, John, first one is John chapter 13, verse 34, right? A new commandment. Jesus has his disciples, says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? Just as I loved you, unconditionally, completely. I loved you, you also should what? Love one another. The second is found with the Apostle Paul. He told the Roman church in chapter 13, he says, oh, no one anything except love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the entire law, Paul states elsewhere, is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus demonstrates and embodies love when he dies for sinners. Peter, the apostle, denies him three times. And what did Jesus do in love? died for Peter. Paul, excuse me, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, not only participated in the the, the stoning death of of Stephen, but persecutes and puts other Christians in prison, putting them to death, and yet Christ died in love, died for Paul. We were all once rebellious sinners, wanting to do whatever we want to do, and yet Christ comes and he dies for us. Paul writes, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, and nobody got it right, And said, now I've earned it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, we've made right with God by the blood of Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Saved by Jesus, his atoning worth, from the wrath of God. Jesus takes the full brunt of God's wrath upon himself in our place, on our behalf, and even though none of us have earned it, and then gives us life. That's that's the deal of the gospel. We deserve punishment. He gives us grace. And Jesus loves us. And then he says, listen, that love, I want you to love one another. And then when my, my, my union with Christ through the power of the Spirit, nurtured every hour by Christ himself, as my great Savior and mighty Lord and infinite treasure of my heart, he frees me to love others. The love flows through us. When Christ is my life, love will be the fruit his law is love. The gospel is peace. Peace. Jesus brings peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This peace he gives us, he says in John 14, 27, it says. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. You're not going to find it in this world. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't look for it there. Look for it in me. He gives us peace. The peace God offers to us is the most pressing need all of us have. The Bible says that we were born by nature and by choice. We are hostile to God. And we are sinners and hostile of God. And until we lay down our swords, right, and our arms, and we turn from our hostility and rebellion, and we humbly submit to the person and the work of Jesus, trusting in his perfect life and his atoning death on our behalf, we go from hostility, enmity, to Peace listen, all of us would love to see peace in our world. We'd love to see nations stop fighting and just have peace. It's not going to happen until the Prince of Peace returns and establishes righteous kingdom. It's not going to happen. But what he does bring with the the first advent, what Jesus does bring is peace with God. And by grace he purchased us by the blood of the cross he dies in our place and that grace takes the, the, the hostile sinner and now we have peace with God. And look what, look what um, the, the song continues to say. Because this is, what, this is what that guy, his name was, by the way, I didn't mention it, John Sullivan Dwight. He was the American that turned this song from, uh, changed it from France to English. And, and he, loved this, he loved this part. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Okay? Now we have brothers, let me tell you something. You, we, I know we're getting some opposition nowadays right here. But we have brothers and sisters all over the world, listen, we have brothers and sisters all over the world who are being beaten, tortured, murdered for their faith. Right now, in this moment, hiding, and we're trying to worship on Christmas evening. We have brothers and sisters right here who are in spiritual bondage, captive to anxiety and depression, substance abuse, pornography, and other things. In fact, John chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, If the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. Indeed. In that context, Jesus was saying to the religious leaders of the day who said, Look, we're Abraham's children. We don't need to be free. And Jesus says, No, yes, you do. Because if you sin, you're a slave to sin. And Jesus says, I will set you free. Free from things like guilt, condemnation, shame, trying to justify ourselves, seeking satisfaction in in our self-efforts. Freedom from feeling trapped in our own skin. The gospel, whose name is Jesus, frees us from the tyranny of sin, death, and gives us life and love. When we are completely, listen, when we are completely and totally forgiven of our sins, it releases us from being in bondage to unforgiveness. Right? When, when we are totally forgiven and God completely forgives us of all our sins, we're released from the bondage of unforgiveness. When we're adopted into God's family through the gospel, we have a new identity and we are freed from trying to prove ourselves. When we are set free by the atoning sacrifices of Christ, we are no longer in bondage to guilt and shame. See, the enemy wants to keep us in bondage Not by power, because he has no power over us. The enemy wants to keep us in bondage by his deception. It's not a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is found in Christ alone. So we go from hope, excuse me, from darkness to light, light to hope, hope to freedom, and finally freedom to glory. Look at the last part of this song. Sweet hymns of joy. In grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. O oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. What the writer wants us to see as he looked at Luke chapter 2 is this message that the angels gave to the shepherds and then the response of that message Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior is Christ the Lord. Verse 13, the angel's response was, And suddenly there was in, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, what? Praising God. Okay, see their response, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This praising and worshiping of the message. And then we find out when the angels, excuse me, the shepherds went and found Mary and Joseph, verse 20, they returned, how? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it been told to them. See the message? The message is clear. Praise, worship, glory. In a response to the good news of Christ. Listen, we glory, listen, we glory in what we enjoy. We glory in what we find satisfaction in. In other words, we give glory, what word means weightiness, value, and worth. We give glory, value, and worth to what we treasure. We delight to praise. We delight and praise in what we enjoy. C.S. Lewis says, The praise not merely expresses this joy, but completes it. It is an appointed consummation. See, when God reveals himself to us, as he did that night, and God shows up, and his glory shine the, around them, he shows up, and he reveals himself. The proper response is, is praise and worship, thanksgiving and glory. I think sometimes we're just so busy. Me too. We don't take the time to really think, to really reflect, to stand in awe and take in what this Christmas is really about. God becomes a man, lives that perfect life, dies to rescue and to forgive powerless sinners like us who cannot save themselves. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul gets a glimpse, not of the the historical record uh, of the birth. He wasn't there. But the theological understanding of this birth of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul talks about Jesus, who is God, left heaven's glory. And stepped out of heaven's glory. And God took on flesh. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It wasn't a subtraction of his deity. He was always God. But an addition of his humanity. So that he could humble himself in obedience to the Father and die on the cross, Jesus, in his incarnation, voluntarily stepped down from the very presence of God to die a cruel death for you and I. And let me tell you, God is under no obligation to send anyone, to save anyone. It is all a matter of grace. God did not send Jesus because he had to. But he wanted to. And Jesus came because he wanted to. Jesus did not die out of obligation that he owed us anything. Jesus died out of obedience to the Father. In his high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus says, glorify me. Father, glorify me. And we know from that prayer in John 17 that God is glorified when the Son is glorified and that God is glorified when the Son is exalted and the work of Christ of salvation, the work of the cross is meant to put God's glory on display for the whole world to see. And the whole purpose of Christ stepping out of heaven's glory, becoming a man in his humiliation and his exaltation is the glory of God, is the weightiness, the value, the display of the infinite beauty, the incalculable worth of God. Not only did he die, but look at Philippians, said he died a cruel death. Philippians chapter 2, even death on a cross. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now, the name of Jesus is his earthly name, is at his birth, at his incarnation. But God exalted Jesus and He gave Him the name Lord so that every name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is what? Lord, King, Ruler, God Himself to the glory and praise and value of the Father. Bowing your knee in humiliation and surrendering your life to Christ. That's what He said. And notice what He said. Let me just look at this really quickly and we're going to end. He says they will, th- th- there will be those in heaven that will, will, will hit the ground and bow before the glory of God, including angels and believers who have died before us. There will be those on earth, which includes skeptics, agnostics, atheists. Those who, those who refuse will bow by force. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. They either do it by choice or by force. But every knee will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Even those under the earth. Those who reject him will bow their knee. That's the promise of God. Listen, Jesus is the only one who came from heaven to earth, who lived the perfect life that we could not live, and died an atoning death in our place and for our sins. He's the only one who could take the hand of a holy, perfect, righteous, just God who won't look at sin, won't embrace sin. He's perfect. And then take the hand of sinners who can't look at a holy God, who can't embrace holiness and bring those two hands together. Jesus is the only one. That's what Christmas is all about. And when you declare Jesus Christ as, that, as your Savior and Lord, you're you will experience the joy of that holy night every day we live. Let me ask you, Let, let me just, just for a moment, just for a moment. Have you really stopped to think this Christmas season? Maybe you haven't. Have you really stopped to think, meditate, reflect, worship, rejoice in the fact that God loved you enough that he came and became a man? In this dark, broken, sinful world, he stepped down, took on flesh to die and redeem you because he loves you and wants to forgive you. Have you thought about that? That he was born in a manger to, to, to a poor, young, poor, virgin girl. That God would love you so much that he lived for 30 plus years a perfect life in your place to die so that he could forgive you of your sins. Has that really, really gripped your heart this Christmas season? Are you stunned? Are you stunned that God would love me that much? That you would rescue me, die for me, rise for me, care about me, love me, woo me, call me, forgive me. Have you really thought about that? Like, God, I can't believe you would do that for me. Just in the quietness right now, just ponder that for a minute. Band, you guys can come up. And let me just ask you all, everybody else, a question. Let me ask you this question on this Christmas season. Will you voluntarily humble yourself tonight before the Lord, the Lord of glory, to worship him and to praise him and to give him thanks for all he has done in the rescue mission of Christ? Will you do that tonight? You know, the carol ends with joyful praise. There's no greater truth to proclaim that the curse of sin has come to an end. No greater rejoicing than to know that God forgives sinners. There's no greater glory than what God has done in the incarnation, the cross and the empty tomb. Nothing compares to the gospel. There is no hope outside of the gospel. But there is great hope in the gospel. A sure and steady hope. Do you have that tonight? Do you realize what Christmas is all about? Do you realize what the incarnation really means? Do you realize Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? There is no other life outside of Christ. And the Bible calls us to just confess our sin, to acknowledge our sin, to say, yes, I've sinned against God. I have not lived the perfect life. Yes, I am accountable to you for my sin. But Jesus, you died in my place. You paid the penalty. You took the punishment. You bore the wrath in my place. And now by faith, by faith, I can be forgiven of my sins. The tomb is empty. The sacrifice has been accepted. The incarnation to the cross, to the empty tomb, to the ascension, to someday he'll return again. Have you trusted Christ? I want to give you an opportunity to do it. Let's stand together. Let, let's bow our head. Father, in the quietness of our hearts, we just want to just... Just meditate, just think, just stand in awe of you. And all that you have done, you weren't obligated to do anything. We're the ones that sinned against you, ran from you, rebelled against you. And yet you came after us. And you sent your son as a sacrifice for us. Jesus, you went to the cross willingly to die for our sin. The sin you didn't have, but you died for ours. Because you love us. And Lord, we acknowledge that. We stand in awe of that. But Lord, we pray that your spirit right now would move in our hearts. That we would accept that truth. We are sinners, you are holy. And Christ is our reconciler. And as we sing this song tonight, Lord. I pray you would grant us faith. As we sing, O holy night. As we talk about the the sin era pining. Until you appeared, our, our soul felt its worth the thrill, the joy. Lord, we pray by faith you will help us to trust you today, to turn from our sin and to trust in Christ. That's our prayer tonight, Lord. Help us to sing. Help us to sing with a heart full of faith to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.